Hey, Property Insiders, I'm Mike Stenhouse, and this is the Inside Property Investing Podcast. You are in the right place if you are an aspiring or existing investor looking to build a portfolio and a property business that works for you. And from this podcast, you're going to learn from all of my insights and advice from over a decade in the industry, as well as the lessons learned from hundreds of other successful investors. So you can listen to what worked for them and avoid what didn't. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and whatever you're up to today, I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening. Matthew Sheriff started his investing career with no real experience, very limited time working a full-time job whilst trying to start another business alongside growing his investment portfolio and with very limited capital as well. A position that I'm sure many of us found ourselves in if we're already investing or many of you listening to this who are thinking about getting started are probably thinking, yeah, that kind of sums me up as well. Limited time, limited money, limited expertise. And I'm thrilled to be sharing this episode with you today because it shows that since he started in around 2018, 2019, so a relatively short space of time, he has been able to take those disadvantages or lack of resources and still create not one, but two phenomenal businesses, his own portfolio alongside uh what started as a sourcing business and is now a real turnkey solution for property investors looking to get HMOs in the supported living sector. Matt's story is great. I'm sure you'll be able to take a lot of inspiration that you can apply to your own story, whether you're just getting started or are an existing investor. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'll stop talking now and we'll get into the show. Well, Matthew, I am delighted to have you on the show today. You said this is your first ever podcast. So I, I'm pleased that I get that um, that podcast cherry from you. Thanks for taking the time to join me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mike. So we are obviously here to talk about your your property story. And it's it's a really interesting one. I'm sure that um, you know we're, we're going to have some good tips to, to share with our audience today, as well as hopefully some inspiration from, from what you've achieved, because you're, you're very hands-on tactical like you're you're doing a lot of stuff and, and making a lot of progress and i'd love to get into the detail of you know exactly how you've been able to build the business that you have to to this level of success and, and activity but i always like to start off by by going back in time a little bit if you don't mind uh and just find out you know a bit about your your backstory what you're up to before property came into your life yeah, absolutely. So I born and raised in in your current investment patch. So Stockport has mm -hmm. uh, yeah always always been home, and was there till I was about eighteen, and then I left for America. Played basketball all my life since I was about five years old, and then went over on a basketball scholarship. I spent two years just outside of Denver, and then six years just outside of Chicago. Great time. Um, played the sport I've always loved. Got a degree out there. And I also set up a couple of online businesses as well. That was sort of my introduction into, into business, which was a little bit force of hand as when you're a student out there, it's not always the easiest to make money um, and get jobs and that kind of thing. So online business is sort of where, where I ventured into and did, did okay. Um, sort of the last three or four years that I was there. And then I came back in the end of 2017 
And that's when I started to get into property. So I got back on the, into the UK, noticed that Manchester had boomed over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. You know, it used to be the Hilton. That was the only large building. And I can yep. see these skyscrapers, you know, as we would call them, not New York style, but um, it was, yeah, I could see the landscape changing a lot. And I dived into some some investments when I was in, in America. And that's when I started to get my feet wet. So in 2018, I started to, train as an estate agent, trained as a retrofit assessor and also an energy assessor. So I was sort of getting getting in the midst of of property, knowing that I wanted to invest, but nice. sort of knowing that I needed to yeah, hone some skills in a sense and just get a bit of an understanding of the industry, which was okay. which was great. Yeah, no, I I love that kind of uh, proactive nature of like, well, you know, I, I want to be in this. I don't necessarily have the skills yet. So let's let's figure out how to make that happen. Just going back a little bit, so that piece about moving out to America, basketball scholarship, like I see it a lot the other way. I see it a lot with, uh, you know, I, I follow ice hockey very minorly, but like, you know, you hear about basketball, you hear about kind of Americans and, and Canadians who maybe weren't good enough for the American college system coming across to Europe to you know what are effectively like the kind of minor leagues for for basketball for american football but for for you to go from stockport across to america on a scholarship I, i'm not expecting you to to brag about yourself but like you must have been pretty damn good i was i was decent yeah De- decent <laughs> enough to get out there not how tall are you out of interest i feel like i've stood next to you and like you're, you're a big guy but i don't feel like you're like eight feet um i like to say i'm just under six five so really i'm six okay. four um okay. six six five on a good day Okay. And yeah, I mean, like, was that, was, was that something that you went out there with ambitions? Like, was it, Hey, maybe one day I'll get into the NBA or was it just like, you know, realistically, if I can get some, some free tuition, that's, that's a great result for me. Like what was going on in your mind? Cause I guess as a young kid as well, like that's maybe a lot of pressure, a lot of focus and determination for me to get to that stage. Yeah, 100% in terms of dedication. Uh, it's a very small percentage of, of people that, you know, get the opportunities that I did to to go out there. And yeah, I mean, I, I was six or seven days playing basketball. You know, it was it was my life for, for a good decade, at least, mm-hmm. uh, before, before I went out to the States. Um, but it was very much going out there wanting to come back to Europe. I was quite self-aware that I wasn't going to make it to the NBA, although I could get over there, get a scholarship. You know, I played, had a great time, got a lot of court time, great teammates, some really quality coaches. But it was always with the idea to come back to one of the European leagues, whether that would have been Greece, Italy, Germany, you know, France. We do have some good leagues out in Europe, not quite the NBA, but that was that was the goal. I knew I could have really run run quick enough or jump high enough to uh to make the nba but yeah sort of the old cliche story though of i, I got injured in my last year quite badly it, it oh. took me about nine or ten months to properly get over that injury and yeah. i felt like i missed the boat a little bit and at that time i really started to get into business and one of one of my sort of online businesses was was sort of taking off and i got yeah i, I got a little bit hooked um and then my one of my coaches ended up saying you know do you want to come and co- coach here and do your masters at the same time so it was sort of another way to also bolster on the education and and also get it paid for which i was again very fortunate and 
sort of see if I wanted to go into coaching. I wanted to dabble in it to see if I actually wanted to make a career and, and continue with the game if I wasn't going to play. But yeah, that, that didn't quite work out. I still kept the businesses on the side, uh, which, which went quite well. And then, yeah, I came home mostly because of visa reasons. And I didn't okay. want to yeah be put in a job box of, of a nine to five to try and tick a visa box in a, in a sense. Cause I was sort of, I think finding a bit more of an entrepreneurial groove. Yeah. And on reflection, I mean, how do you, looking back on it, how do you feel? Are you glad that you, you focus so much time to basketball in the first instance? Is there any part of you that thinks, you know what, maybe that injury was a good thing based on where I've gone now, or is there regret? How do you tell that story in your own head? Mm, zero regret in terms of the the amount of hours I put into the game from a very young age. Uh, no, no regrets. It opened so many doors for me in terms of transferable skills, you know, from the dedication piece to the consistency to to the grit, you know, trying to trying trying to make it out there sort of striving for a dream if however cliche that may be, but when I was 15, 16, I went to Florida and and played played out there at high school and some different tournaments and I absolutely loved it. And from that moment, I sort of said, "Yeah, I, w- I want to get over there," and and that's why I ended up being able to do with with help of coaches and um, a, a great coach called Neil Hopkins. Shout out to you if you're ever going <laughs> to listen to this. Um, but yeah, he he really helped get me over there. He runs an academy out in in Preston now as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of that, there is a lot of transferable skills. And when I actually think about my skill set, I was a decent player, but I did get got injured earlier than I wanted to. But I do think that it set me on a on a path that you know I'm I'm enjoying. I enjoy business. I've I've had you know some some fall downs and uh, a few failures, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, I think it set me on a different path. But hundred percent, no, no regrets. Awesome, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, then coming forwards to when you arrive back in the UK, you see these skyscrapers going up in Manchester. I mean, the, the way the skyline in Manchester has transformed over the last year is just it blows me away every time I go into the city. But you realized this was something that was exciting you wanted to get involved with and you I guess you know your your route that you felt like was the the best path into that you said you trained as an estate agent an energy assessor and a retrofit assessor again you know just thinking about what was going through your head at that time you didn't have any direct experience in the industry what did you think that career path was going to look like for you going through this training Mm, when that a lot came from when I was 21, 22, I started to get into some alternate investing in terms of precious metals, strategic metals, that kind of thing. And I started to learn a little bit of how the system works from, you know, from a money standpoint, from a government standpoint, from leverage. And then when I got home, and obviously in the UK, property is is big, you know, the, mm. the, the house is the castle type, type thing. And coming back it just sort of felt felt right to to start moving that way and it sort of felt fell a little bit from the people that i met i think from the training that i did um and i started to get interested in green technology sustainable builds i started doing a little bit on that and that's where sort of the retrofit assessment came and i started doing 
assessments on properties for you know upgrades in, in insulation heating systems solar panels you know what what could be done to make these properties more efficient and how could we uh, yeah re- retrofit certain measures and then yeah that that led into okay i think I think I do want to build my own portfolio after I'd been at the estate agency. You know, I could, I could see the people that were making the money and it wasn't people that were working in my office. It was yeah. the, the individuals that were coming to me buying properties. You know, I, I see them four months renovation, they're flipping them. And it, yeah, it, it just sort of all synced together from multiple factors of this, this can be something that yeah, I can, I can do and, and grow. Okay. And how did you start to make that transition then from the estate agent on the wrong side of the desk to thinking about doing your first deal? Yeah. So I I always knew I wanted to do estate agency for six to 12 months. It was very much a a mindset of get, get my feet wet, understand how that office works and how they actually generate their, their pipelines and sales systems. And always with an idea of, of moving to, to sourcing properties and buying my own. And that's, yeah, that's, that's what's happened. That's what, what happened. I set up the sourcing business in Q3, 2018. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's properties a funky one where you, you sort of start it in your mind first, and then it starts to, you know, tract as you, you get some action going. And yeah, I sourced my first property in 2018 uh, to to an investor that's actually my, my business partner, and okay. it, it, it went from there. And I know you've you've had the the famous Susanna Cole on the podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did some did some training with her, which was brilliant. Really nice introduction into it. And from my background, I I highly value coaching. You know, quality coaching, whether it's sports, business, whatever it may be, it can it can get to where you where you want to go quicker so it, that that definitely propelled me forward and then yeah sort of 2019 really started to to gain traction with the, the sourcing business and then also bought my first property at the end of that year as well got you so the sourcing business came before your own investments was that as a way to start building up your cash pot or like how why, why did you decide to go down that route first of all Oh, sorry, we froze then. We block out. I was asking you why. So I, I, I was just trying to get the timeline straight in my head, and I didn't realize that the um, the sourcing came before building your own portfolio. And I'm curious the the reason behind that was the the sourcing a kind of means to build up capital for your first deal, or was there some other reason that you went down that route first? Yeah, so I, I knew I was to sort of establish a, a business in this. And I was actually looking for myself um, whilst I was also sourcing. So my mind was, I could, you know, do do viewings, really get get to understand my craft. I was I was sort of like, I, you know, I could, I could source the first one for free, if, if you know, an investor would buy it, go through all the motions, you know, really understand how to do it. And it, yeah, it, it sort of went a little bit in tandem. Um, and then I, f- I found something for myself in 2019. And then it sort of went from there. So yeah, it was it was a bit together. Um, but it was it, it sort of worked, especially with the sort of training and mentorship I was going through at the time. And then knowing that property is a, is requires some chunky capital, right? So even mm-hmm. if I even if I had enough for one, I knew I, I would have either needed to, to raise money or, or start making some money somewhere. And that was okay. sort of the philosophy behind it. Run the trading business, run the acquisitions business, and yeah, start start the wheels turning. 
Nice. And we'll talk about that more because the, the two still run hand in hand to this day, right? That, that trading side of your business and then your own portfolio acquisition. But talk to me about your first ventures into your own portfolio. What did your first deal look like? Yeah, so a little bit, a uh, little bit similar to to you in terms of you're a big advocate of you know lodges and um, that kind of thing, which which I am too. I think it's a great way to to get into property, which is which is what we did in a way, but the COVID did change our plans a little bit as we I sourced a, a property in in Stockport, bought it for two hundred. I knew it was worth about three hundred. And we ended up turning that from a three bed to a five bed. And we, we potentially were, were going to flip it, um, but that that didn't happen. Um, COVID happened, et cetera. And then, yeah, we ended up, I did that with one of my best friends who's also uh, a site manager and is into construction. So our, our skills were quite complementary. And we ended up, yeah, keep, keeping that um, living in it for, for a while and having lodges um, that, that, you know, paid for the mortgage um mm. and th- that's that's in a it was in a brilliant spot and that's that's how the first one went but it was a bit of a, a passion project the first one uh we we did quite a deep retrofit into that in terms of air systems uh we did the the insulation external ground loft we we went quite quite deep in terms of the the energy aspect of it um which was which was great it, it achieved a b um, which was which was good so yeah um, it was it was a bit of a, a passion project as well from really sort of honing some skills regarding refurbishment how that actually goes and then with the sort of retrofit side that I've done before um so, some elements into that as well which was which is yeah nice nice to get the hands dirty yeah it was a uh, th- that time when I look back was was tough. I was, I was still working. I was sourcing. I had this project going to, you know, it was that seven to 11 PM at night, you know, grinding through it on the first one, but I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't change that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best way to learn to an extent. I'm a big advocate of leveling up your role in your business, but to start with getting your hands dirty, you know, stripping the wallpaper and sweeping up after the builders, although they should probably be doing that themselves and, you know, fill in skips and like just being around the building site, seeing what's going on. It's, it's a great way to learn, even getting a paintbrush in your hand and, you know, nothing, nothing worse than painting all the spindles on a staircase, do it once and you'll never want to do it again. But I think having that appreciation for those different pieces of the puzzle and how it all fits together, it's, it's a great way to learn. 100% 100% I completely agree and that was that was one thing that was quite surprising when I came back to the UK and started looking at the the property scene in the UK and looking at the education sort of platforms and different people that were that were around and as I said I, I really am an advocate of quality coaching but yeah I, I was seeing people spending you know tens and tens of thousands of pounds on education and and not not, not buying anything and I just thought you know the the actual experience of be, being on site talking to builders talking to trades you know you, you'll never learn that in out of a book or, or in a classroom no matter how much you yeah you read or listen to somebody else so yeah big big advocate of of getting the hands dirty and uh yeah get, getting that sort of understanding Nice. So you've got your first HMO under your belt. You're still living in it at this time with lodgers kind of filling up the the extra rooms, I think, right? That's right. Yeah. And then how did things start to 
grow from there. I think a lot of people, they're able to do that first deal, but then often things kind of grind to a halt. And I'm curious how you were able to juggle that and what the timeline looked like with the job, with the sourcing business, with the acquisition portfolio. How did those things start to move on and grow from that first project? Yeah, so I think the the first project in that way of you know sort of covering your immediates as i always call it you know from from mortgage to to energy and that kind of thing that's that's a really nice starter place because you can lift your head a little bit off up off the precipice and build you know and, and not pay yourself too much out of out of the business or, or mm-hmm. what you're doing so yeah i was still i was still working at at the the, the estate agency during that time i was also growing the the sourcing business and then yeah left left that in 2020 in regards to the estate agency business and then i scaled the the sourcing i was working part-time as as an assessor so i was still going around properties doing assessments that was sort of a part-time supplementary income whilst i was still building the portfolio still building the trading business and yeah just just in all honesty, not to, you know, shy around it, ch- chugging along. I think anything, yeah. anything at the start is always the most difficult. You know, it's like that rocket at the start that needs the most fuel to get off the ground. And then once it's in motion, it's, it's that much easier. And, and that's what it was. And yeah, the, the sourcing business started to gain traction through 2020 and 2021. And then I, I bought another um, property, which was a mixed commercial unit, which was a commercial on the bottom and flats in the uppers. That was mm-hmm. that was a, a cracking buy. Um, really, that was just a, a looking at an under-marketed, uh, sorry, poorly marketed and under-rented property. And I was able to yeah really boost the income off that. And then in 2022, that's when I went full-time in, in the business and in property. Yeah. I, I love that analogy you give of, you know, the kind of rocket, all the fuels expended getting off the ground. And then once you kind of break through the atmosphere, it, it, it gets significantly easier and more efficient. I think that's that's so true for the property world as well. And, you know, I, I like the reality of the fact that the early years were a bit of a hustle, a bit of a grind. You weren't like, oh, hey, I'm a property investor. I'm going to quit my job on day one and be financially free. Like you, you had to work to get there. But I guess, you know, there's there's probably very few doubts or regrets. You know, I, I mentioned regret earlier, but, um, you know, in terms of your, your property portfolio, putting that effort in, working hard the long days and the late nights and probably sacrificing some social time to get there. Now, you know, we're, we're talking about, what, a couple of years of sacrifice really to get you into a position where you will be significantly more comfortable now for the rest of your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's and and it's honing skills, you know, at the end of the day, which which I think is is the biggest part. I don't think you can you can skip to you know being being a great investor or being a great project manager or or partnership coordinator, whatever it may be. There's there's always a I don't want to call it a price to pay because that that sounds a bit negative, but yeah, there's a, there's there's a time to put into the craft, and that that always continues. But I think when whenever you're you're learning something new and and really building something, it's always going to be yeah a, a very significant amount of energy at, at the start. But yeah, wouldn't uh, wouldn't change it because it's it's put me in a in a decent position there where I am now, mm-hmm. and it still feels like very much scale up mode. Got got some 
some ambitious goals, you know, got got some good growth to go. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it feels nice that it is in in motion. Yeah, good. I, I want to go back to a number that you shared the the first HMO that you bought. I think you mentioned that you paid two hundred for it, and you reckon it was worth about three hundred at that time before you'd done any work to it. So there's you know there's a good discount built into that. I think the number that you shared with me from a sourcing business point of view as well was um, sourcing something like six million worth of property for a purchase price. So, so six million value of property, but your purchase price on that was about four million. So again, good discount built in. You mentioned Susanna Cole, who I also see kind of talk about her sourcing in a similar way. So I guess you've maybe you've maybe listened to the the master and learned something from her, but like. People will be sitting listening to this thinking, okay, Matt, whether it's sourcing one deal for 200K that should have been 300 or a portfolio of deals that should have been 6 million that, that you've paid about 4 million for, what do you think it is that helps you negotiate good prices on deals? How do you secure them at you know below market value? I'm always reluctant to use that term because I think it's used a little too often in the property world, but this sounds like, you know, you, you genuinely got a, a discount there. So what can you share with us from a sourcing point of view that you find works? Yeah, for, for me, I, I, I always say it's a numbers game. There, there, there is no, no way about it. I think whether, whether you're on right move, whether you're direct to vendor, whether you're going to auction, it's always a numbers game. And I think I, I like that approach because it, it gives you control and it also allows you not to BS yourself. You know, if, if you've got an ambition, but you're not creating the action to meet that, then you're, you're always going to be slightly off balance. So we that's not a case of numbers as in going to every property that 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 you might see there there is still an aspect of filtering down into you know what works for me speaking to the agent understanding the situation there are there are nuances around that but it's like for last year last year for example it, it took takes us 13 viewings and nine offers to get a deal so I know that I need to be hitting those numbers at least. And if I want to get one property a month, for example, I, I need to be hitting those numbers. If I want to get two properties a month, I need to be doubling those numbers and, and so on and so forth. So I would I would say it's consistency is is a hundred percent the the key. And then there are nuances then around how are you speaking to the agent? Are you understanding the situation? But I I feel like if you if you don't have the activity first, nothing, nothing else re- matters too much. You can start to fine tune it once you you've actually yeah, drummed up the the numbers to sort of meet meet your goals in a sense. Yeah, I like that. I, I like the fact that you know your numbers. I like the fact that it is you know it's it's just a con- consistency thing. The the, the kind of uh, you know the age old quote: "What gets measured gets managed." Like if you don't have numbers, if you're not tracking your metrics, if you don't know how many viewings you need to do or offers you need to make to get an offer accepted, you're you're kind of just shooting in the dark. Whereas once you start to look at that, it becomes relatively easy, right? And it's just okay. Well, we want another deal. We just need to do another ten viewings, or it might be twenty viewings. It might be thirty viewings. Like I think the number isn't really that important. There's there's scope to to improve upon that and figure. Okay, well you know what, we're doing too many viewings is our criteria wrong. It sounds like you've got that pretty well nailed in as well with kind of 13 viewings to uh, to nine offers. So what you're actually 
going through the door of you've obviously done your your analysis on and you you're kind of clear on the fact it ticks your boxes and then getting an offer accepted on on those as well uh i, th- I think those numbers sound sound pretty strong yeah and those those numbers are very much specific to us you know depending what you're sourcing will will 100% change your numbers you know at this time we're we're very much looking for hmos blocks of flats you know four to six bed hmos we're very targeted in what we want the square meterage where the house is etc you know if you're if you're looking at let's say vanilla buy to lets your you, your pool of opportunity and stock is going to be much bigger so your mm. numbers may look a lot different or if you're going for commercial conversions and you know your stock's going to be much more decreased in terms of what you can actually go for your numbers are going to look different again but yeah it's it's honing in on on what you're actually searching for and then reverse engineering the numbers and then going at it for, for a good year. And then you can take stock of, okay, how, how have we done? Yeah. So yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your, the sourcing business now, cause that seems to have really taken off and become a big part of your focus alongside the acquisitions. And I think you said earlier, actually, that the first ever deal you sourced was for your current business partner in that business. Yeah, that's right. So over, over, over the years, like you mentioned, saw six, six million pounds worth of property for an agreed purchase price of just under four million. And that's been a range of different strategies from buy to lets, HMOs, and then some, some commercial properties, uh, both empty and tenanted. And then also into what much more what we do now, which is supported living HMOs and blocks of flats. So that has taken off um, over sort of the last two and a half years. I got introduced to some housing providers uh, around 2021, started to understand how how that was actually working in regards to, to care, supported living, that particular niche of, of property. And then we started sourcing in that in that niche. And that's with my business partner, Peter Mayer. We run sourcing partners together. So that's a sourcing and development business based based in the Northwest. So we saw our main patch is Greater Manchester, Preston and Cheshire. So predominantly what we do is four to six bed HMOs that are then signed on to five-year leases with supported living providers. So we we offer a full turnkey service from sourcing the right properties in the right areas, making sure that they work for the housing provider, that they work for the council in the particular locations where we're sourcing. And then we project manage the refurb from the, the floor plans to the design and build a pack and the tendering process. And then we also negotiate the head leases and get all of that arranged as well. So it's a full sort of turnkey product for individuals that are interested in high cash flow in properties that do want to sign leases onto, onto their properties as well and have it fully managed with, you know, progress reports every week whilst the refurb is going and be involved, be involved as much as, as much as they want. Um, so Peter, my business partner, he has a lot of project manager experience in his corporate career, working with Starbucks, Pizza Hut, big, big brands opening these all over the, the Northwest. So he's he got a lot of skills in, in that department and I'm more so on the 
front of house, you know, sourcing relationships, building the partnerships with the housing providers. So it's a, it's a nice tandem. And it's also taught me a lot about business, working with other individuals and Mm -hmm. working with other people that have different skills to you, which I've found is, is, is absolutely key. What do you think it just on that subject, the, the biggest benefit of, of working with Peter, of having a business partner to, to grow this with rather than trying to do it all yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. Even from a standpoint of, you know, about bouncing ideas around the strategy for, for the quarters, for the year where we pivot to, and, you know, obviously after 2020, we did pivot a little bit more to commercial property. Once we came out of COVID, the, the, the market was incredibly hot. It's, it's the hottest market I've, I've ever seen, which almost seems crazy. But we then did have to seek other opportunities because of how, yeah, how hot the market was and, and what we were finding. And just to have somebody else to, to bounce those ideas around and pivot when you need to, um, hunker down when you need to yeah it's been it's been great and for for this product for the for the supported living we've been able to create some brilliant partnerships with some great organizations working in the northwest of england we've been able to produce a pipeline of 132 hmo rooms in multiple different areas for these providers some of these we've we've bought ourselves from working with investors as well and some of these we've sourced on for clients for a full turnkey service. So it works for the housing providers. It works for us. It works for the investors. So trying to yeah cr- create that, that model that's, that's very scalable and also very dependable once it's been yeah, tra- tried and tested. Nice. Yeah. I mean, supported living for First of all, congrats brother. Cause those, those numbers, that business sounds phenomenal. The, the supported living model strategy whatever you want to call it has definitely boomed in popularity over the last couple of years was that uh i'm I'm trying to think what came first for you was it a case of okay supported living is a real opportunity let's focus on that or did you kind of stumble into it and then think okay versus everything else we're doing this feels like the the most scalable like how how did you come to settle on that as a focus area we were looking at that for our own portfolio so Mm -hmm. peter also has a portfolio of professional hmos uh, that they're in manchester and also sheffield and it was actually looking at I keep, I keep mentioning COVID here, <laughs> but it was a time of where energy prices were increasing. There was a lot of uncertainty in the market. There were certain things that were going on around individual banding of rooms, which I know now has, you know, gone by the wayside, uh, ch- cheering on for that. But there was there was a time where we were just sort of looking at, at the market and how things were were moving with our own HMOs and that kind of thing. And then I started to understand how the supported living world works from a rental standpoint, from a lease standpoint, um, break clauses, uh, maintenance, all of that kind of thing, which a lot of that is in a commercial FRI lease, whereas these are a bit different of uh, internal repairing lease. But obviously you, you have a lot of bottom line costs with the with, with HMOs. So we started just doing a, a market analysis on our own properties from, you know, 
different areas of, of Stockport to, to Salford, uh, to, to Preston. And when we were looking at it, we, we were getting some really competitive rents, passing it over to them and the income being very dependable in terms of it's, it's the same monthly uh, that, that you get. And it was very, very competitive towards the the private market as well. So it was it was much more with our own um, properties first, and then once we'd really sort of sense checked it and we could see that something was was here, and the the sheer demand that was that was out there, you know, we we were sort of being asked, "Do you have anything else? Could you could you help us find more stock from the housing mm-hmm. providers?" And then it sort of yeah worked, worked away into into these partnerships and build building out a a process and a, a sort of pipeline system both for us and the housing providers because sometimes you know we're, we're passing over many rooms to them that it, yeah it built into this model that that works and in a sense is trying to also curb some of the demand that's out there for these properties for for individuals that need them. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I think it's nice when you settle on something that you think this really does have legs. You don't need to keep reinventing the wheel or looking for, you know, new areas, new strategies. For me, that's what a, a true property business should be, right? It's not here to entertain us. It's, you know, we can we can enjoy the process along the way. But first and foremost, it should be something that it can be scalable. There can be systems and processes and repetition like any other business. And I'm I'm glad you found that with with what you were doing, the process of working. So obviously you're still acquiring your own deals, but just talk to me about the process of working with kind of investor clients as well. I'm sure you're going to be nice about all of them on air, but have there been any? You know, do you ever think, geez, this is you know this is hard work. I wish I could just focus on my own portfolio. Or do you do you like that kind of client facing side of the business as well? I've put, I've asked you a really difficult question there because I, I know you can't say anything negative here about anyone, but I'm just curious to know how it ties alongside the acquisition stuff. Yeah, absolutely. O- overall, I I like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's building relationships, partnerships, and helping people grow their portfolios. Which, as you say, of course, it, it takes away from some of the time of of building our own. But there's a balance to everything, right? And and property is a, is a chunky capital game. So you know, a lot most investors run out of money at some point, as mm. the, as the saying always goes. So it's a it's a case of you know raising funds, making money if you if you can do that through other it might be other businesses or it might be in property. And for us, we we like that balance. We like that balance of of having that trading business, having that trading income, and servicing other people as well as building our own portfolio. And what I find that also helps us do is we we have a lot of volume with the with the housing providers. So we're also filling a good amount of their quota when it comes to how many beds they want to take on per quarter per year. And that helps build really strong relationships through through delivery, through you know con- consistent stock that that we can offer them. So it does it does have have a lot of strengths as well, not just in a in the case of you know working with investors, but any anything at volume, any and anything at scale. And when we talk about scale, that's always hard in property, as it's a it's a very cumbersome sort of slow chunky 
old industry, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that that's kind of why we also focus on four, four to six bed HMOs. You know, we we like to be eight to twelve weeks in the refurb. We're we're in, we're out, and we can plan estimated handover dates with with the supported living providers because we have quite a lot of control you know we're not in planning we're we're not waiting for for somebody else to to give us permission to to do this so that that also helps a huge huge amount on deliverability and also reducing opportunity costs as with with property depending you know if you're in a project for 6 12 18 months the opportunity cost can be quite high Mm-hmm. But, yeah but, i know yeah. that feeling <laughs> yeah i'm sure people are listening to this thinking Oof, i know that feeling too yeah and that's you know there there are so many different ways to to, to make a, a business that works for you in the property industry i like the the kind of the, the the chunkier deals the commercial to resi the planning opportunities and the, the big back to brick developments but i mean you're right it's slow there's a lot of risk involved there are more certain easier ways dare i say it to to make money in property and i think you know what you're talking about hmos where you've still got you know that that big income but you tag onto that the supported living so there's an element of certainty and guarantee there keeping it under seven occupants so there's no planning i guess avoiding article four areas so there's no planning um you know minimizing or, or looking for deals where you don't need to do back to brick renos like these are all checkboxes that you can add into your sourcing criteria right and and ultimately find deals that that work for you that um you know take the boxes of do you want to take on big projects or light refurbs do you want projects that you maybe get an uplift in value from planning but there's the risk there of it getting slowed down or, or stuck altogether or not getting planning and yeah i mean you it sounds like you've kind of gone through that checklist and said what works for us what works for our clients and and just religiously stuck to that which i think is great yeah for sure and and you're right there's a there's a lot of different strategies in in this industry and and many work and i think if you're for me if you're always going to take on a longer project whether that's one year two years plus you know if, if the pie at the end is worth it then it's it's, it's always worth the time and, and investment is is slightly different working on your own projects versus also other people's projects for sure so when you're also in a trading business and that 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 turnaround is always going to be key right and it's it's um yeah it's different i think even when we're looking at our own portfolio you know we're, we're potentially open to slightly larger projects they may they may take a take longer but when we're looking at the the trading aspect and also managing clients expectations because some some clients may have done quite a few properties before some of them this might be their first one and they're they're looking at us you know to to help them make it a success and have having that turnaround and you know the once the property completes within three to four months, you know, they they've, they're getting rent back in their bank. Uh, yeah. It can, it can give them that, that good level of confidence and it, it works very well for us. So I always think it's a, it's on an individual basis. Yeah. And what's, what's going to work for that person and that particular business, but you're right. There's, there's so many ways to make it work. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, going off on a tangent here, but I was listening to a podcast recently about, I don't even know how I got onto this this subject or what the podcast was, but it was about productizing a service and it was talking about, you know, agency like marketing agencies or people whose whose core business is something that is very much a kind of a, a hands-on service, but making that as close to a product 
as possible. And I think that's really what you've done, right? Like you have taken a service, which is we will source you a deal. We will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll manage it. We'll probably assist you through conveyancing. We've got the connections with the supported living providers. But by by standardizing it as much as possible and getting really clear on your criteria, it is, you know, almost an off the shelf product that we can have you, uh, you know, it's a it's a six month HMO or, you know, you can you can really get pretty close to a definition of a standard product that your customers can expect rather than, oh, well, you know, we'll source you something depending on what's available at the time. And then, you know, maybe it'll be a single letter, maybe it'll be an HMO. Like people know what they're getting with you. And that that must create a lot of reassurance. Yeah, definitely. And I think the fact that we were able to do do this ourselves before, because we, we had sourcing clients before we sort of got into this supported living niche and, you know, by, by multiple different strategies, but proofing it ourselves and then going forward with it gave us a lot of confidence and it gave clients a lot of confidence. And the, the model and sort of checklist that we've built, I think gives people a lot of, a lot of confidence, both the, the investors, you know, that, that invest with us, for a return and also the the sourcing clients that that we service as well and for for us it's it's really important to have that that checklist and i think that's why we're able to turn these around quickly you know dur- during the conveyancing process you know we'll do a full measure up we'll have all the the floor plans done we'll have the builder pack fully done we'll, we'll tender for the the property um, just before it completes and then pretty much you know the first week two we can hit the ground running and we're, we're off to the races and have, having those build teams you know one team we've we're moving on to our 18th maybe 19th project with them now and they know the products inside out mm-hmm. and it's ha- ha- having that repeatability and that you know like that gives us confidence it gives our clients confidence and also the, the professional team that we work with it, it passes them consistent business as well so yeah that we we like that aspect of of repeatability and uh, it it's it's proven to work so far so longer long may it continue yeah absolutely i'll keep everything crossed for you because it, it sounds like you're on the right path which is great um just to to wrap us up i uh i i feel like we're um you know we could we could keep talking about this for many more hours and and i'd love to maybe we'll get you back on to to talk about some of the details of your your kind of sourcing pipeline and uh you know how that all works for you but um, just in terms of you know your own story, your your portfolio acquisition, the idea of keeping that trading business, so you've got that kind of revenue stream and that profitability that can you know it keeps a roof over your head, it keeps the lights on, but it also helps fund future deals. Like it's it it, it sounds like a a great setup, but it probably was not by design from day one. So for anyone who is just starting out thinking about starting out with the experience that you have now got the models that you have tried and the ones that you've stuck with what would your advice be to someone about you know how they could make it as easy as possible for themselves based on your own experience oh sorry mike i i I lost you after models you've stuck with oh no i'm keep freezing on you it's funny so i'll probably leave this in because i feel like one edit is enough for me matt during a a podcast as i mentioned earlier you know i'm lazy um we we had a blip earlier which hopefully nobody will know about but uh yeah our audio on my side hasn't been great today so i apologize to you for that matt but i was just asking um you know based on 
everything that you have tried, what's worked for you with the benefit of hindsight, what would your advice be to somebody else who was starting out to, to learn from what you have done and to make their own life as easy as possible? Yeah, I think the, the, the best piece of advice is, is, is take action. I think that there is a lot of people who are looking at property, maybe looking at investment, seeing, seeing what they can do. And, you know, 12, 24 months passes and, and, you you haven't moved and there can be many reasons for that i know but i always think that if you can take action first and foremost that is always going to be the the biggest benefactor into honing your skills moving that train forward and sort of getting to where you want to go that's also the in tandem with that is understanding where you want to go, whether whether that is as quickly as possible you want to replace your income and get out of a job or whatever it may be. And if that's high cash flowing properties or the particular strategy that's going to work for you, that's that's going to allow you to to base your action on that particular desire. Or it might be that you love your job and you just want to, you know, have vanilla buy to lets. So you invest for 20 years and you're good to go when when that time's up. So I think understanding the end, reverse engineering it all, and then knowing your numbers. Um, I know I sort of started with that, but for for me, that's that's so huge. Just knowing your numbers because then you, you never allow yourself to to, to BS yourself because that can be one of the worst places to be. And I think that's sometimes why people get stuck. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So final question, just to wrap us up then, for anyone who's interested in in finding out more about what you've got going on, about following your progress or maybe getting in touch about, uh, you know, working with your, your trading business or perhaps even investing in some of your own projects, where can they find out what you've got going on? Where are you active online? So active on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a website, which is sourcingpartners.co.uk. So that's got our services, what we offer. There's some case studies on there as well, uh, which supports, supports living HMOs if you want to go in and take a look. And yeah, if anybody is wanting to chat or has questions, um, I'm happy to yeah answer via email or uh, hop on a call. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that. I'll make sure that those links you shared and all the best ways to reach out to you are in the show notes for this episode. If anyone does want to reach out to, to Matt, you can uh, you can head over there and get the links to his his LinkedIn and his Instagram and all that good stuff. So that just leaves me to say a massive thanks to you, Matt. Like I say, you know, I think we could have gone into this in way more detail, but hopefully it gets people excited about the possibilities of, of what you've achieved in a, a pretty short space of time, you know, just a, a handful of years and through COVID as well you've built up a couple of great businesses for your own portfolio for the, the trading business side of things. You've shared a lot of great tips and, and advice with us today. So I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. I'm, I'm extremely impressed with what you've achieved and uh, yeah, long may it continue, as you said. So thanks for being here today, Matt. And I hope we get the chance to speak again soon. Much appreciated. I've listened to the podcast for many years. So a true honor to, to be on here and uh, yeah, thanks very much, Mike. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm.